we're gonna wrap up today by looking at what is new creation gonna look like, be like for us as individuals. Last week, we looked at kind of this cosmic approach. What will new creation uh, be like it just in general, from a, again, from a, a kind of a cosmic point of view? And today, the goal is gonna be to look at that from an individual point of view. But the whole reason that we're doing this, and I've said this every week, and uh, so just by way of reminder, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to, uh, to ground our expectations in the reality of what Scripture says eternity would, would be like. There is a, a, a strange yet predominant uh, view that exists in, in uh, many parts of Christianity that's sort of this dualistic view that imagines uh, heaven as that place uh, that is up in the clouds that once we uh, are dead in God and once Christ returns, the earth is just gonna go away and we're all gonna be whisked up away into the clouds in this non-embodied uh, existence with God where we will sing uh, forever. And uh, that there's there's just some tiny, small fragments of that that, that are okay okay and that we can hold on to, but as a whole, that's not at all the, the picture that scripture paints for us in terms uh, of eternity. That comes a lot from uh, Greco and Roman philosophy. And so uh, we've just been opening the scriptures and saying, okay, God, what do you say about uh, eternity? And last week, uh, and, and in weeks before, but last week, we kind of mined down uh, in it a little bit. And we said, so what's the goal? God, where are you taking things? And we read from Ephesians chapter one, verse nine and 10, that tell us that God's plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Jesus. And so we looked back at how uh, in Genesis 3, uh, heaven and earth were, were separated and torn apart in sin. And God's plan for the fullness of time is to bring those two things back together, back into uh, overlap with Jesus right there at the center. And last week, we, we've talked about what it will be like, what, what, what happens after we, after we die and in this, these moments before Jesus comes and, and before for a new creation, and last week we talked about creation on a cosmic uh, scale from Revelation chapter 21, where the new heavens and the new earth are revealed. And I just want to, by way of reminder, tell you that I'm going to use the phrase new creation as a way of talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And we, we talked about how it will be physical. We said Revelation 21 says that the sea will be no more. It will be a place where there is no looming threat, no mystery. God's dwelling place will be with us. His presence and his glory will cover the earth. The scripture says that his glory will give light to the nations of the world, that his glory will literally be physical, tangible, and light-giving. We talked about uh, how in new creation, what is now uh, unseen, what we call spiritual and unseen, uh, in new creation will, will be seen and visible, where what we see now and perceive with our five senses will, will overlap and be uh, perceptible even in the unseen realm where God's glory will be even physical. We talked about uh, how in new creation it will be like what we see now, but it will be completely renewed, right? So we're not looking at something that is totally foreign and totally different, but with new creation, what we're talking about is we're talking about what is now just a broken remnant, a shadow, a whisper of what is to come, but what is to come will be like this, but on a scale uh, unimaginable. So it'll be uncorrupted by sin and death and all of the destruction that human beings have brought into the world. And we tried to just paint a picture of what new creation will be like. And I want to uh, get into today what that's going to be like for us, 
What will our experience be of new creation? Now, I love, and I love this topic, and maybe this is what you came here for. Maybe this whole series, you're like, this is what I came here for. What's it gonna be like? And, I, and there's all sorts of, of, of fun questions uh, that can spring up from this topic. But as I've kind of waded into the most common questions, I noticed a theme. One of the things, I, you know, we hear f- uh, just fun questions about, you know, what will, we, what will we drink? What will our clothes be like? What will we wear? What will we, uh, you know, what, what will we taste and smell? What, you know, I don't know what your questions might uh, be like. But what's interesting is that if you kind of mine down into those questions, what you'll find is the very thing we're trying to, to come against, which is you're, you're gonna find that what we're trying to do is we're trying to imagine something that's altogether different than what it is now. That's really the source of those kinds of questions, is we're wondering what it will be like then as a way of trying to imagining, imagine sorry, something that we don't know anything about now. And right there, right there, if you see it, there's that whisper of that dualistic view, that trying to get into our heart and mind something altogether different than what is now. And we've gotta, we've gotta really try uh, and resist that. And we've gotta understand that in every way, new creation will have relationship with what is old. It will not be the same in any way, but, in, but it, will be, uh, it will be related, it will be familiar, it will be grounded in what is now. Remember at the very beginning, in the very, in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, in chapter two, what does God say about creation? He says that he saw that it was what kind of good? Do you remember? Very good. What God has made is very good. And so when we come into new creation, what we're gonna see is an absolute renewal of what God made and intended to be very good. But there, is, there are a lot of fun questions. I wanna just remind you though that where we have to continue to return is this in this idea of complete renewal. So the core and fundamental elements and properties of what we know now as individuals. And what are those? I've listed a few. Our work is a part of being human. Relationships are part of being human. Creativity is part of being human. Problem solving, part of being human. And you could go on and on and on in the list. And the point is that those core fundamental elements that are connected to the reality of being a human being are not gonna go anywhere. Those things will be the same in new creation. Or maybe not, maybe the way to say that is not the same, but those things will be present in new creation. So how do we get our minds around this? How can we begin to even imagine it? Well, I wanna go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to begin. It's the passage that we just read from, and I wanna just point out a few things uh, here. Isaac just uh, read from this passage, so I'm not gonna just reread the whole thing, but I wanna point out just a couple of elements in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's talking about us being, uh, Paul is talking about us being resurrected from the dead, and he's saying, if Christ was not bodily raised, then our faith is in vain, but Christ has been bodily raised, and he uses this phrase, He says that Christ is the first fruits, verse 20, of those who have fallen asleep. 
And then he goes on to talk about how in Adam all die, but in Christ all live, and that Jesus is the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep, and that we will be made alive and be like him at his coming. Now, here's the thing to know about first fruits. First fruits uh, is a, uh, in the first century in Judaism, first fruits would have been a, a thing that they would have known well. It was, a, it was a feast that would have come around every single year. And the whole idea behind first fruits, it was a spring uh, festival. Uh, we, we now uh, celebrate Easter, but it's connected to uh, Easter. And the idea is that every spring as new uh, life comes out of the ground, they would harvest that first fruits, literally the beginning of the harvest, and they would dedicate that to the Lord. And the idea is that God, you have brought, you have brought life where there was death, right? What was in the ground and what was buried and dead, life has now sprung forth. God, you have done this. It's dedicated to you and you will bring more of the same kind. See, that's what first fruits was. And that would have been etched in the minds and imaginations of those who would have been reading this letter. And so when he says that Jesus is the first fruits of those resurrected from the dead, what he literally means is that Jesus is the first of many that will come in like fashion. Jesus is the first one to kind of break this mold and become bodily resurrected with new life, but he will not be the last, that his sacrifice will make a way for others to come like him, that we and those who are in him will experience resurrection life like him. But the whole point here is to say, where do we begin to imagine what new creation will be like? Well, shocking, we're gonna to look to Jesus. We're gonna to look to Jesus. So I wanna do that this morning. I wanna to look to Jesus. I wanna look at what Jesus did and, and what it was like for him in the days after his resurrection as a way of kind of filling our imaginations with what new creation, what it might be like for us who follow in like manner in the resurrection of the dead, what it might be like for us. So go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I'm gonna read a long section of verses here for you beginning in verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood and, uh, she, sorry, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And when she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will, make, I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So again, the resurrected Jesus gives us a window into what God intended and what will be realized for us at Christ's coming. Let's just go through this a little bit. What is What happens at the front of the, of the tomb, Mary goes and she is in massive, massive mourning and, uh, and weeping. She is sad. She's gone through this incredible trauma of seeing Jesus crucified and in the, the process of mourning. And so she goes to the tomb and now that, that trauma has been exacerbated because Jesus is gone. But who does she see? She sees somebody standing there. And in her, in her grief, she doesn't recognize him for who he is. And she asks him, saying, supposing to be the gardener, where is he? But then, look at this. So look at this. So Jesus was standing there physically. He was there. He was human. He was so human that she saw him and believed that he was a gardener. And when he addressed her, what did he use to address her? He used words out of his mouth and he spoke to her and he said her name and when he said her name what happens it clicks it's kind of like an infant an infant gets trained to the soothing voice of their mother an infant knows that voice so well that it's that voice that brings comfort It's a relational voice. When Jesus says Mary, he says it just like he's always said it. She hears it just like she's always heard it. There's tons of relationship held within that statement, Mary, and she hears it like she's always heard it and turns and speaks to him and says, Rabboni, teacher, she knew who it was because when he spoke, he knew who she was. And then we are, we, we were taken to this scene where he's with the disciples. And this is really interesting. I don't know how he gets in. It's always, that's an interesting conversation. That it makes a point that the door was, was locked, but somehow Jesus winds up in the room. Was he like the gardener that they just didn't know? Like the security just failed and he just walked through and they're like, man, nobody checked IDs. You know, like who's the gardener, right? But, 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 but the point is Jesus ends up in the room and, and, he, and he speaks to them. But what does he show them? It says that he shows them his hands and his side, that he bore on his body the physical wounds of the crucifixion. I want to get to that in just a minute. That's fascinating. But the point is that Jesus was physical to the point that he could show them his wounds and they recognized it as what he had gone through and experienced in the crucifixion. Now, Luke tells us this story and and he, he says that, look, when they saw him, they thought it was a ghost. They freaked out. It wasn't because he was like Casper the Friendly Ghost in this weird, uh, this weird uh, silhouette or whatever you imagine that being like. The point is they thought he was a ghost because he was dead. <laughs> because he was dead and they watched him. They, they knew that he was dead. They had, that he had been buried in the tomb and yet here he was. 
It was so striking and shocking to them because here was this man that they'd known to be dead who is physically alive and standing in front of them. It was his physicality. It was the reality of him being who he was, exactly who he was, that caused them to say, oh my goodness, he's a ghost. But what did Jesus do with them? It says that he ate, he fellowshiped with them, he, he hung out, he was hungry. Interesting that the resurrected Jesus was physically hungry. It also says that he taught them. I love this. He sat with them and he taught them and he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. The point is, here's the, here's the whole point, that the resurrected Jesus was able to and did connect with other human beings in a human sort of way. You with me? Jesus' interaction with them, if he was altogether different, <laughs> would not have been possible to connect with them and relate with them in a human way. But he connects and relates and has relationship with them in the same way that he did before the crucifixion. Because he was human, right? Fully God and fully man, and he relates to them as humans relate to humans. So here's the first thing to know about what will it be like in new creation. Well, you will be human. I don't know what you've imagined. I don't know what sort of wings you thought you might sprout or what side of robe you thought you might be wearing or what side of vapor or sort of vapor you might be made of. But the point is, you will be none of those things. You will be human. And everything that comes with that, almost, we're gonna get there in a minute, and almost everything that comes with that in terms of the core and essential elements of what being human is, you will be human. We will be body, soul, spirit. We will have a mind, a will, emotions. We will have a physical body. We will be spiritual, meaning we will have the capacity as God intended us in the book of Genesis to relate to him. We will be constructed in such a way that allows us to have personal and intimate relationship with God just like we were created and designed. So listen, all of the essential components of being human will be present in new creation. I love in, in Revelation chapter 21. Now in the ESV, it doesn't say this, but in Revelation chapter 21, uh, when it talks about the nations of the world, it says they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. The NRSV says people will bring. <laughs> what will we be like in new creation? We will be like people. <laughs> human. We, human beings, will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. And listen, listen, this is important. This is why physical resurrection is important. Now in our culture where we take apart what's physical and, then, and, and what is material and what is not, we, when we peel those apart and we can lose this, but here's the deal, an essential component of being human is physicality. There's all sorts of lies worrying around in our culture that who you really are is actually disconnected from who you physically are, and that's not true. God designed us to be these fully integrated humans, meaning we have a physical body that is part of and essential to our personhood. We will be physical in new creation. We will be people, and part of and integral to New creation is the fact that there will be resurrection of the dead. There will be bodies that will be raised because we will be physical in new 
creation. Now here's what I wanna say about Jesus bearing the marks of the crucifixion. I, this just really struck me this week as a, as a powerful truth. Jesus shows the disciples his wounds. We see a couple of different accounts of this where Jesus shows the disciples his, uh, his wounds. And, I, and I, I've, I've wrestled with this, like man, you still, you still carry the wounds of the crucifixion? And man, just here's, here's what is so crucial here. I don't know how this is gonna work. But even the deepest of our wounds, in what might feel like today is an unimaginable reality, but even the deepest of our wounds in new creation will bear the mark of God's glory. And there's situations in the room this morning where you're going, man, the deepest wounds, if you want, you want me to talk about the deepest wounds, man, these are deep, this hurts, this stuff is, I cannot imagine, why wouldn't in new creation, why would it not just go away? And I don't know the answer to that, but I know that the resurrected Jesus showed up and was present with the deepest marks and wounds of, a, of a, I mean, because in those wounds, it wasn't just physical. In those wounds, it was betrayal, it was rejection, it was being left all alone, it was being scorned and hated, it was not just physical that Jesus endured, but it was mental and emotional. He took the entire weight of our sin on himself, and yet in new creation, those wounds and marks were still there, yet they were not there as evidence of pain and trauma. They were not uh, influencing his life in any way, yet they were simply markers for the glory of God. And I think it's a, it's a powerful image for us to get into our minds of the way in which God is going to deal with and heal even the deepest wounds that you and I are walking in today. Come on. If you're hurting, say amen. God in unimaginable ways will bring our deepest wounds of the human heart to not disappear as if they never happened but to be totally eclipsed by his glory. To be totally full of his glory. They will not be forgotten, but they will have full and perfect purpose. Now, let's talk about a few key elements that are uh, a, a inextricable link to being human. Okay, this is kind of some of the, common categories. The first is relationships. This is a common thing. And actually, uh, this is a pretty common theme in the scripture. What, is, what are our relationships gonna be like? Paul speaks about this because he wants us to know what are relationships gonna be like. What, what are our relationships? If we're gonna be fully human and part of being human is relationships, what are those relationships gonna be like? In Matthew chapter 22, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, love the Lord your God you know this passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is really important. Verse 40 there says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What's Jesus doing? What are the law and the prophets doing? The law and the prophets all along were pointing to what being fully human was supposed to look like. The law and the prophets all along were, were pointing to redemption. And Jesus says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two realities. What are those two realities? Number one is loving God with everything that I am. 
A full and complete love of God. And then what is the second part of that? It goes with it. The second part of that is, and love of neighbor as yourself. So here's the deal. Jesus sets up as essential to human flourishing. The way that we were built to flourish was when our relationship with God was harmonious and intact and our relationship with others was harmonious and intact because our relationship with others flows out of our relationship with God. There is no real love of neighbor without full love of God. And Jesus brings those two together and talks about those as essentials to human flourishing. So what will relationships in new creation be like? Well, we will experience the fullest extent of relational unity with a triune God. It's the beginning. Breathe that in for just, just a second. God is three distinct persons, but one God, and, and is described in scriptures, the essence of who he is, is love. So the harmonious relationship between the Godhead is, is a relationship that is full of love. And we will be, in the greatest extent possible, brought into that harmonious relationship. Our love of God will be perfect. Wow. How many of us are struggling right now because it's hard for us to imagine God's love for us? We know what we've been, what we've done, we know what life has looked like, and we struggle deeply to go that God could really love me. But the reality is, in new creation, we will... <laughs> We will know the fullest extent of God's love for us and we will love him perfectly. We'll be wrapped up in that harmonious relationship with the Godhead. Well, what does that mean about our relationships? Well, Jesus ties the two together and it's not an accident. Jesus talks about the love of God and the love of neighbor. So what does that mean? If we will be fully absorbed in a perfect, harmonious relationship with God, what does that mean about our relationships with one another? they will also be perfect and harmonious. That the love of neighbor, the love of the other will be perfect. Will we have relationships? Absolutely, we will have relationships. And those relationships will not bear the marks of selfishness. Wow. Why? Because selfishness will have been done away with. It will all have been absorbed and done. We will love God perfectly because we will know his perfect love for us. There will be no room for selfishness. There will be no room for the need to manipulate somebody else and coerce them. And, and there will be no need to order humanity and figure out who's better and who's worse and where I stand. Why? Because the perfect love of God will be our reality. And so from that, our relationships with one another will be perfect. Imagine this for a second, church. The Bible tells us this stuff so that it fills our imaginations. Listen, imagine that for a second. No need to manipulate one another. Where there's no need to coerce one another. Where there's no distrust. Where there's no figuring out and jockeying for position on the human scale of who's better and who's worse. Imagine being in a relationship where none of that existed. Who 
kudos of your neighbor as the, as, the, as the image bearing person that God created them to be. And they were doing the same with you. And not in the middle of that was no manipulation, no coercion. It was just perfect harmony. You see, we can't hardly imagine it. It's amazing how subtle our sin nature gets in and wraps its fingers around our relationships. But in new creation, we will be perfectly known and loved by God, love him perfectly, and as a result, know one another. In Genesis chapter 2, 18, God says, and, and this is before Genesis 3, by the way, 2 does, if my math's right, because come before 3, okay, God says that it's not good that man, and remember, the word Adam there is about humanity. It's not good. It's not good. Human beings were not made to be alone. It's not good that man should be alone. God made us for relationship. There will be relationship in new creation. And Paul even picks this up in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And remember, we, we've talked about this verse before. I wanna just remind you, he's writing to a church that's worried about those who are in Christ that have passed away before this coming day of the Lord. And they're going, wait a minute, what's gonna happen to them? You've told us that Jesus has been resurrected, this day of the Lord has come, and we thought that meant that none of us would die, but these have died, and we're worried about that. What does that mean? And Paul comforts them, and he talks to them about how, at the end, the day of the Lord, that those who have fallen asleep is the phrase that he uses, and those who are alive at Christ's coming will be caught up together, will be with him and present with the Lord. And then after that statement, what does he say? Comfort each other with these words. Why would those words be a source of comfort? Why? Because Paul is intending to bring them hope in the reality that they will see those that they love again. They are not gone, they are not absent, they will not be unknown forever. Paul says there will be a day when the resurrection has its way and those who have fallen asleep and those who are present will come together and in the context of full relationship with God, they will see and know one another again. It is a source of comfort because now it is a source of longing. Isn't it? Isn't it? Which of us in this room have not experienced loss? Experienced, maybe it's been death, maybe it's been a friend has moved away, but the point is, which one of us in this room do not know that feeling that, that, that rumbles in our gut when we are separate from those that we love? And Paul says, as a source of comfort, you will be with them again. Why? Because relationship will exist in new creation. So he says, comfort one another with these words. Think about the narrative arc of scripture. It begins with a family. It begins with a family in the garden. The redemptive climax of the whole story in Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise to bring about redemption through a family. And the whole book ends, Revelation 21 and 22, the whole thing ends with a family of nations in Christ. It's all about relationships. It's been relationships, human beings woven together and woven to the Lord their God from the very beginning. Okay, this one's common. This is another common question, kind of spinning off of relationships. Well, what about family? What about our blood family? And what about marriage? <laughs> well, this is a fun one. Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. He says a, a, a bit of a strange thing, and he seems to indicate, though I'm not sure, he's not quite trying to, to, to tell them all that there is to know about new creation and resurrection. It's not necessarily the context, but what he does say is he appears to say that there is no marriage in the resurrection. What? Lindsay's like, 
Just, that's just, can I, just, sorry. Right? He, why would he say that? Well, this is a fun one because this is, this, is, uh, this is tied to something really important. In Ephesians chapter five, I, I do wanna take you there. If you don't mind, run over to Ephesians chapter five with me just for a brief second. Ephesians chapter five, here's what Paul says about marriage. He says, therefore, a man, this is verse 31, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, what's he doing? He's quoting Genesis. He's quoting the very beginning that God, in, what God intended for marriage and sex, it's all right there, okay? And then he quotes that and he says, this mystery pointing back to God's intent for marriage is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now we could do a whole sermon series on just these statements, but the point is that God created in the beginning this human relationship called marriage, but it had from the very beginning, as Paul quotes, a larger purpose. And that larger purpose, it was not just what was that institution, what was that relationship, but it was a picture of a coming greater reality, which was the relationship of Jesus to the church. The Bible refers to us, those who are in Christ as his bride and Christ as the groom. That language is all throughout the scriptures. And there will be marriage in new creation, but the marriage in new creation that is mentioned is the marriage of Christ and the bride, the church, all those who are his and, his, and in his family. So marriage, human marriage, falls in this really interesting uh, category of things that are explicitly said will not be in new creation. There's not very many of these, but marriage is one of them that's not. And the Bible goes out of its way. Jesus says there will not be marriage in New Christian. Now, why would that be? And do we have any other example? Hopefully, you're nodding and saying, yes, I remember your sermon from last week. What will also not be in, what physical structure will not be in new creation? There will be no, starts with a T, ends with impel. You still don't, for real? <laughs> Say Temple. There it is. Remember, it starts with a T, t ends with impel, impel, temple. Got it? Why will there be no temple? Because of the greater reality. What is that greater reality? There will be no need of a temple because there will be no need for a space where human beings can safely interact with God. Why? Because God is the temple. All of creation will be full of his glory. So one thing goes away because a greater reality is put in place. Marriage falls into that category. Now, I have no idea what that's gonna be like. But here's what the Bible tells us, that the marriage of Christ and the church, our joining with him will be the greater reality to which marriage was supposed to point. So the greatest and most harmonious, uh, best elements of marriage are just a whisper and a foretaste of what is the greater reality of perfect, re of perfect union with Jesus, with us as his bride. The greater reality is coming. So marriage as we know it now will have no need because there's no need to point to something that's already here. Are you with me? You tracking? Okay. It's interesting that the same is actually true for family. Now, let me back up. I'm not saying this means that you will not know your spouse. I believe that you absolutely will. And I don't know, maybe you'll be in some sort of relationship, but it won't be marriage as we know it because that greater reality will come. 
But what about family? What about blood family? Well, here's the deal. It's where we're, we're asking the wrong question. Will we know our, our relatives that are also in Christ? Will we know them? What's the answer? We should be ready. Yes. Why? Because we'll be relational. Paul says, comfort each other with these words. But, the, but family, that word family that we know now to be a link to others based on our DNA will also be, uh, uh, will be overtaken by a greater reality. And what is that greater reality of family? Family in the Messiah. See, we're wrestling with that right now. It's all sorts of us in this room that belong to Christ and we're really trying to figure it out what that means about how we belong to one another. That's pretty messy, isn't it? Trying to figure out how people from different backgrounds and places all now belong together in this thing called family. But in new creation, that, that fullest extent of family made out of the nations of the world of every tribe and nation and tongue will be a reality and will be the greater reality to which just family now points to. We will be perfectly one, perfectly familial in Christ Jesus. Family will be in him and it will be made up of nations and tribes and tongues. Okay, I've got no more minutes, but I'm gonna keep going. Listen, work this is another element. For those of you that love to work and get some gratification out of it, this is a good amen for you. For those of you that hate to work, this is maybe gonna be a good amen to you because all the reasons you hate it will be gone and all the reasons you love it will be there. God made us as working creatures. He gave Adam and Eve a job, cultivate and steward the earth he gave them a vocation, something to do with their hands. He, work entails problems to solve. Most of you, in your place of work, you are somehow, some way, figuring things out. You're using your God-given brain and creativity to sort through and solve problems, and you're, you're, you're cultivating something that is in your area of work. And, and God created us to be stewards, to build and create and explore. That is hardwired into our heart. And I just want to tell you that in new creation, there will be adventure and problem solving, because in new creation, there will be work to do. Now, that work will not be a curse, and problems will not be the result of sin, and creativity will not need to be to overcome sin, but the point is there will be work. We will put our hands to something, and we will do so together, and it will be relational. It'll be group work in the best kind of way, but there will be work in new creation. I particularly want to speak to men. Look at me, men. We have imagined heaven for so long as this dainty little place of singing and afternoon tea and pinkies up and robes and that I know many men who are not quite sure they want to go to heaven. Listen, I'm being serious. But in new creation, all, this is for every one of us, but I'm just, I am speaking to men now. All of what is hard, the adventure that is hardwired in you, the work that is hardwired in you, the creative that is hardwired in you will be put to good and perfect use. There will be adventure in God's kingdom, to which I say, amen. All right, move to our invitation this morning. I love this. I found this quote uh, by Augustine. He said, "Love. what will new creation be like? 
He said, well, this is a simple, simple way of talking about it. Love God and do as you please. Now, I, had to, I read that and went, whoa. <laughs> now, why would I do that? Why would I recoil at that? Love God and do as you please. Because why? What, what, what is do as you please tarnished by right now? Me. Because we fight this battle every day. What I please is often at odds with loving God. What I please is, has got my sin nature, my flesh all wrapped up in it. And often, if I were to go the way that I please, I would be moving against God and his kingdom. This is a, but I love this, this is a brilliant statement. Imagine those things not being in contradiction. Think about this. What will new creation be like for us? What we please will come from the love of God. What we want to do will be what God has designed for us to do. We will desire and walk in his will without tension. Come on. We won't wonder this way or that way. The love of God and relationship that we have with him will be so perfect and complete that what we want will come in natural alignment with who God is. What am I describing right there? I hope you caught something. That should be happening now. Now here's the trick. We go, we long for that. We go, oh, that sounds great. I can't wait for that. But hang on, church. There's no reason why we shouldn't be living now in preparation for how we'll live then. You with me? Come on. That's not a far off thing. Like it's not, that's not something we just go, okay, great. I'm just gonna hang out there until those two things overlap. Just wait till God takes me and then I'll wanna do his will. No, 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 no. The whole story of formation, the whole, the whole work that the Holy Spirit is attempting to do in you is to do that thing now to bring your will into alignment with the will of God. That's what Romans 12 is he was talking about right there at the beginning of the chapter, right? That we're not formed by the patterns of the world, but we, we, when, we, when our mind is renewed by the truth of God, we will know what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Why is that? Because we've been transformed and renewed on the inside so that God's will becomes the natural desire of my heart. That's called maturity. You with me? So the whole point is, that that's all sounds great and we should imagine it. But the point is that we should be living now and today in anticipation of that day. That's what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. That he's creating these kinds of people and it's the spirit of God at work in you today to bring that about. The point is that right now, if you'll let God, right now, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit, he's actually transforming you to become the kind of person you're gonna be forever. You with me? That's what he wants to do now. It's not what he said I'm gonna do then. It'll be finished then. But it's in process now. And so our role in this is to say, okay, God, this is what being human really is supposed to look like. Have your way in me. Start today becoming the kind of person you'll be forever. You with me? That's profound. 
I don't know if you came for something profound this morning, but there it is, there's a nugget. What would it look like for us to become the kind of people today that we will be for eternity? What would that look like? Well, it would look like laying our whole selves down in worship before the Lord, allowing him to transform us. What he does in you now that is his will last forever. That's what Paul's talking about when he says there will be gold, silver, precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. And wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up, but the gold, silver, and precious stones will be an eternal treasure. Would you stand? Listen, if that description of human relationships, of work, of relationship with God, if what I've described as new creation is completely and totally foreign to you this morning, and I've said this before, but if you hear that and you go, that's, that's what I was made for. But this is what I'm living. This is what I'm experiencing. I wanna tell you that the divide, the bridge for that divide is not something that you can overcome. There is something in your heart that resonates when you hear what human beings are supposed to look like and what relationship with God is supposed to be. It resonates in you because it's what you were intended for, but it seems so far away because it is something that is outside of your ability to reach. And that's why we have to understand what Jesus has done on the cross is what Jesus has done is that he has lived as a true human being in perfect and harmonious relationship with God and everything that that entails because you and I could not. And not only has he done that as an example, but he has also then chosen through his self-sacrificing love to take on himself what is broken in you and keeping you from realizing that relationship with God, which is sin. And he took that on himself on the cross, all of the power of sin and evil and brokenness, all of the weight of my sin, he took on himself so that there would be no barrier between what you know that you were made for and what you are. That the bridge from that to the other side, his name is Jesus. And he has paid the price for the forgiveness of your sin. He has offered himself to you so that in relationship with him, you can step over into what the Bible calls eternal life. When the Bible says eternal life, it's not talking about life someday. It's talking about the type of life that Jesus has purchased for us. The life that we get to begin living now. You with me? That's what you are made for. His name is Jesus and he has done what you cannot do but he has offered it to you in exchange for your life. It will cost you, it will cost you your life, but he will give you his in return. That's what you were made for. If this day is the day that that exchange needs to be made, what I want you to do is, as we sing, just make your way out of these double doors. We're gonna have prayer partners out there that can walk this through. What, what does following Jesus look like? What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? They're gonna walk that through with you. For the rest of us, listen, what would it look like to begin living now the way that we will live then? It looks like laying my whole self down and allowing the Spirit of God to have his way in me. He will make you into what you will be forever. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit, would you change us and transform us? I beg you, do not leave us today without us becoming something different than when we walked in. Transform us by your power and your might. 
In Jesus' name, amen.